Good morning, how are you doing today? I'm so glad you're here, so glad Fontana and those watching online and Fireside Out uh, here at our Rancho campus. We're going to be wrapping up our series called For You Today, but before we do that, real quick, um, next week we're launching into a series called In the Midst. And if, if there's anything that's going on in your life or uh, your world that you would say is, is troubling, is uh, a struggle, if there's a need for hope, this is going to be a series that, that just addresses the reality of uh, sometimes we're in hard places places. Uh, and yet God always has hope that is available for us and for others. So we're going to talk about that for a number of weeks as we approach Easter. And even before that, um, starting this Wednesday, the, February the 26th, there's going to be a journey all the way up to Easter. And, and we're just extending an invitation, what we're calling an invitation to prayer and fasting. And fasting, if you don't know much about it, is just simply this uh, doing uh, away with something. Sometimes it's food, maybe for uh, others it would be social media, uh, maybe it would be TV, but doing away with something for a season to give attention uh, to, to God and to focus in. And maybe for you, it's uh, you would do it one day a week or, or you would do something um, uh, like a kind of food, maybe like you just give up uh, donuts just kidding. You would give up something that you would say, I'm going to give up this thing that I, I do regularly so that I can attend to God more. And from uh, February 26th to Easter, we're going to have this. There'll be lots of information coming out on social media and our e-blast, but we would invite you into a season of humbling ourselves, seeking God's face, uh, looking and longing for wisdom and direction for the future of what God has for us. Uh, like I said, we're wrapping up our series for you today. And so we're going to talk about a topic that for some of us we would say, this is interesting or maybe even strange or like I've not thought about this or um, I've not considered the implications of this on my life. If you're not a Christian and you're listening to me, uh, this is a good insight into what are the implications of following Jesus and what are we invited into uh, as Christians, as believers, to try to have our lives align with who God is. We're going to talk about our physical lives, our body specifically, and how it actually matters now, there can be a tendency for us to say, no, 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 the, the things that really matter are the quote-unquote the spiritual things, but we're going to see the Apostle Paul making a case to say, you can't segregate or separate yourself like this. You matter, uh, and we've talked about this for weeks, you matter, your emotions matter, your spiritual life, your relational life, your vocation matters, your finances matter, all of these things under the authority of Jesus and, and the implications there, it all matters. And why does it matter is what we're going to talk about, but specifically end on today when in relation to our physical lives. Why does it matter? It can't be just so that we look buff and are yoked. It can't be, it can't be just so we live a, a lot longer. Maybe it's more about the quality of our years than the quantity of our years. It can't be just that we would feel better when we go through life. There's gotta be more. There's gotta be something deeper that God is inviting us into. And, and, and I've got a dilemma. Like, as you hear me talk, some of you will think absolutely yes, and you're like hyper-vigilant on these kinds of things. You're like hyper-vigilant of exercise or eating or, or resting, and, and you're like, yes! And others of you are like, no, don't talk about this. And you're like, it actually doesn't even matter. I don't care. And, and I hope 
to bring a biblical balance to both of those extremes to say it does matter, but let's not make too much of it, but let's not make it too small of a thing either. We live, though, in one of the most healthy uh, and health-conscious areas in our country. Uh, literally two weeks ago, a, a brand new survey just came out that was uh, measuring the healthiest cities in uh, the United States. And on this uh, survey that they had, it measured healthcare, it measured fitness clubs per capita of people, it measured food consumption, specifically fruit and vegetable consumption, and I failed that one if I would have taken that survey. And Rancho Cucamonga is the 49th healthiest city in the entire United States. You're giving yourselves a round of applause. That's okay, that's great, I love it. Fontana was 121st healthiest city, uh, Ontario 124th healthiest city in America. Lots of other cities uh, in Southern California were a part of this. Like sometimes we would say this stuff matters and, and to be honest, sometimes this stuff matters too much or, or, or for the wrong reasons. And then in other cases we'd say, no, maybe for some it doesn't matter enough and I wanna make a, a balanced approach biblically for this. In 1 Timothy uh, chapter four, Paul writes, these words, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding both uh, promise for both the present life and the life to come. And some of you would say, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Physical training is some value, yes! And others would be like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Physical training is it's just a some value. Uh, this verse I've had in weeks and weeks ago for my notes, and I woke up this morning and I got my phone and the YouVersion Bible app, this is the verse of the day. And I was like, oh, God is trying to say something to us today. Physical training is of some value, but listen to what uh, he says, but godliness is of great value. But here's, here's part of what we're gonna talk about for the present life, for now, and also for the life to come. So we're gonna hang on to that and come back to that in a few minutes. The other thing I wanna say is there's different applications for these truths depending on the season of life that you're in. If you're young or if you're old. If you're on a, a scale of very, very healthy or if you're not and there's health issues. There's applications at different places of our lives and it requires wisdom to know what is the application of this truth in my life right now. I can't cover all the circumstances, but I just wanna go through a, a very uh, interesting, fascinated, and sort of the Apostle Paul step by step by step building his case on what we're gonna talk about. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter six. If you have a smartphone, tablet, I would love for you to be able to follow along as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter six. As you're trying to find it or looking for it, I just wanna set the case for what is this letter, 1 Corinthians, in the first place? It is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to people in a church in a place called Corinth. Corinth was a major, a significant Roman city. It was a, 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 one of the largest and most prosperous of all the cities in that Roman, part of the Roman world. It was a multicultural city. It was an important trade city, so that means economically, socially, entertainment-wise, Corinth was the place to be in many respects way back then, a lot like LA and surrounding areas today. Very similar. And there were also a set of cultural norms, worldly things that had gotten out of control that were a part of Corinth. And again and again, Paul is writing to his audience and he's like, come on, you gotta wake up. 
You gotta pay attention. Don't, don't be like the world around you. And, and Paul's writing to people who they don't have a Jewish background. Most of these people in the church at Corinth, they came to know Jesus out of their, their, their Gentile, their Greek background. And they don't bring all this Old Testament stuff uh, in, but they bring all of these other religious philosophies and ideas into a church. And Paul's like, wait a minute. Is this, is this following Jesus or not? And many times he's calling them saying, no, 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 no. You gotta do away with those things if you're gonna follow Jesus. So 1 Corinthians chapter six, and I, I'll start reading in just a minute in verse 12, but before we get there, I love what verse 11 says. Paul is saying, listen, some of you, to the people in the church at Corinth, some of you were just like everybody else living crazy lives at one time. But then he says this interesting thing, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spirit of our God. And he's basically saying, and you'll never be the same, amen? Because of what Jesus has done through his Holy Spirit. And he's gonna say, so live like it. So live like it. Verse 12, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. There are some slogans that I think Paul is, is addressing here in the church in Corinth that were very popular things to say around the city. And one of them is, I have the right to do anything. Literally, one of their slogans is, I can do whatever I want to do. Now, as Christians in Corinth, they had taken the liberty, the freedom that we have in Christ, and they tried to use it as a license to sin. And they had sayings like, I can do whatever because Jesus has set me free. And Paul says, maybe. You have the right to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. Maybe you have the right to do anything, but you don't want to be mastered by anything. And Paul is coming into this moment of these slogans, like, like we have those kinds of things. Like when I was in junior high and early high school, we had a slogan, you gotta fight for your right to party. The Beastie Boys, they gave us our slogan and we were like, yes, wait a minute, to party? That's what our fight for our rights are? And Paul's like, you, you've got rights, but you've also got responsibilities as followers of Christ. And you can't just say, I demand my rights, but not want to take responsibility for your life. And he says, everything's not beneficial. Everything's not profitable for you. And maybe they had another saying in their day that said, but everybody else is doing it. And Paul's like, is that a way to live your life? Is that how you want to live your life? Because not everything is good. Not everything will help you grow. And at some point, you've got to take responsibility and, and mature. Like when my son was five years old, I, we didn't let him dictate what his diet was every day. Or it would have been Fruit Loops and Skittles for breakfast and double, ba double I can't even talk, bacon double cheeseburger and M&Ms for lunch. And we had to say, hey man, you can't just have whatever you want. You don't know any better. And Paul's saying, if you try to live that way, where you say, I, I've got the right to do whatever I want to do, it's a dangerous way to live. Watch out for that philosophy, because not everything is beneficial. 
Don't, don't be mastered by anything. Why? Because you're under the authority of a new master and his name is Jesus and he knows what's best. So if you trust him, your life will be able to experience what he has for you. So don't be mastered by something else. Paul's trying to help the people in Corinth and us today understand Christ can help us learn self-control. He can help us grow in self-control. In 1 Thessalonians, the apostle Paul writes, each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable. Learn to control your body, not where you're always driven by desires and, and wants and passions, but you learn to control your body in holiness and in a way that's honorable to yourself and to your God to live that out. And in the, in the minds of the Corinthians, when they heard this kind of thing, they were probably thinking of the Isthmian Games, and it was second only to the Olympic Games, and there in Corinth, they would have these uh, athletic festivals, and they knew what it took to have discipline and self-control to be a, a, a strong athlete and to win the prize. And at stake here, Paul is saying, so you've got to learn what's beneficial not to be mastered by the things that'll hurt you rather than help you. And he's calling them out. Look at verse 13. You say, so here's another saying. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. That was a saying they had. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. So it was like, so who cares? That's what they were saying. Who cares? Do whatever you want to do. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. So they had this slogan where they would say, it's, it's, it's these kinds of things, it's food for the stomach, it's stomach for the food, my body wants to eat, so I'm going to eat, or like, like maybe a, a modern version of that, you live to eat, and then you, or you eat to live, then you live to eat, you know what I'm talking about? And Paul's like, that's, that's just not a way to live. That's, that's just not a way to, to live by these kinds of slogans. If it feels good, do it. That's dangerous. It doesn't lead to health. So Paul gives them a new slogan. Now, this is a weird slogan, but Paul gives them a new slogan. Here you go. The body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And they were like, what? The body for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And literally they're thinking, what is he talking about? What does this mean? Because for many people in that day, uh, especially in a church like the one in Corinth, there's a different kind of thought from Greek life and from even Gnostics that, that said there's on the one hand the spiritual things that are good, but then there's matter, there's physical things, and they're evil. And the, the spiritual things you, you should lean into, but the, the physical, the matter things, they're bad. And the way that you're delivered by the physical things, the matter things that are bad, is, is, is by thinking the right thoughts. It's all up here. It's Gnosticism. It's the right kind of thinking will lead you to salvation. Because this is bad and this is good. I was reading on this website, ligonier.org, that the early church rejected Gnosticism. And yet certain aspects of this Greek thought linger even today. Many believe that our bodies are just shells for our souls, the real us. Yet Though our souls are with the Lord at death, we are incomplete without our physical bodies. And we look forward to the resurrection of the body on the last day. In creation, God blessed our bodies. The way we treat them reflects our understanding of this truth. I don't know if you know this, but you matter. And your body matters. Your physical body matters. And I know that it matters partly because in John, we're told when Jesus came to this earth, the word became 
flesh. He took a body. Jesus took a body. He took skin and bones and blood. And he, he was a real person. He walked this earth. He taught us the ways of God. He physically was tortured and died on a cross. He physically was resurrected by the power of God from the grave. Physically because our physical bodies matter. Would you do me a favor? Get, would you just open up your hands or one of your hands and just, just look at them for a minute and what do you notice about your hands? Mine are wrinkled too. That's so weird. They weren't wrinkled at 40, but at 45, they started wrinkling. I have calluses, and you're like, you don't have calluses. You don't work like that. I work out, thank you. I do have calluses. Um, you have a fingerprints that, that are unique. You're, you're in, in, in some ways, your handmade masterpiece by our creator God. You just whisper that to yourself, I'm a masterpiece. I'm a masterpiece. That's what God says about it. That's what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter two, you're his workmanship, you're his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're his masterpiece. Your, your hands matter. Your body, it actually does matter. And you may say, but I only have one hand that works or I have hands that are wrinkled or, or, or my body's broken or my body has disease and I'm fighting this. And you may say like, but my body's not well, my body's not whole, yet your body is your body. And for this moment and for this time, it's the body that you have and so it is a gift. You may not say it's perfect, and, and that's not what I'm saying, but it is a gift that God gives. And Paul says, here's a slogan for you. The Lord for the body and the body for the Lord. God isn't against your body. He's for it. We've been entrusted with it. And you may say, but I don't like this. My hands are too big. My hands are too small. They're too skinny. They're too fat. Whoa, 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 whoa. You're a masterpiece created by God. And God is for your body, even if it's broken, even if it doesn't work like it used to, or even if it's just filled with potential and you've never realized that potential. Paul is saying the Lord for the body and the body for the Lord. It matters. Look at the next verse, verse 14. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead that's resurrection power, that's physical bodily resurrection, and he will raise us also. There's a part of the promise of those of us who follow Christ in our body, we're going to have a resurrection one day out in the future when Jesus returns, just like Jesus was resurrected. So Paul is connecting our physical bodies to uh, elements of, of salvation, that our souls are saved spiritually before God, but also there's a bodily element to that, but then also to the return of Christ, that there's a time where we're going to experience this kind of resurrection. Even in our baptisms, we identify, we, we put people under the water, that we are identifying with Jesus in death and we're raised to a newness of life and that's got that kind of an element to it. Look at verse 15. Paul begins to ask a series of questions. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Your body's a part of the body of Christ. Bodies are members of Christ himself. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a the prostitute? Never. Do, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united, joined to the Lord, is one with him in spirit. 
Paul's saying there's a physical and a spiritual thing that is going on simultaneously. And and for the people who were in Corinth, they didn't have to guess what he was talking about here in this verse. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Because in Corinth, there was a very tall mountain. And at the top of that mountain was a temple. It was the temple to Aphrodite. And that was a temple of fruitfulness and passion and beauty and desire. And and in that temple, there were temple prostitutes. And people would go and, and climb up that hill to that temple and they would worship that way. And so Paul says, don't you know I want you to know, don't you understand, your bodies are members of Christ himself. And does anybody want to take Christ and lead Jesus up that mountain to the temple of Aphrodite? And it was like, never, nobody would want to do that. Paul says, but here's what you need to know. Because you're members of Christ, the spirit of God lives inside of you. When you go up to that temple, people of Corinth, it's like you're taking Jesus with you. He's like, whoa, whoa. He's like, don't you know this? And either they didn't know or they didn't consider. They hadn't considered the ramifications, the implications of their physical behaviors and their connection with Christ. And Paul says, don't you know? This matters. This matters so much. Pay attention because you're united to the Lord and you're one with him in spirit. Because of that, the physical stuff matters, so pay attention. Verse 18, Paul continues, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Again, the the specific condition that Paul is addressing here in Corinth is is that of sexual ethics and behavior and that kind of thing. I'm I'm focusing for, for today on the body aspect of this. And here's what Paul is saying. There are some times when it comes to temptation that you don't need to stand and try to fight. You need to run. Flee. Get out of there. Verse 19, do you not know? Just continues with the questions. Do you not know? That your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. Listen to this. You are not your own. Paul is saying, I I, I don't know if you don't understand this or if you haven't connected the dots, but but here's what I want to remind you. You have been given a gift. You who are following Christ, you're, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, in chapter three, verse 16, Paul has said sort of to the whole church collectively that uh, don't you know you're God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in your midst. Now he makes it personal. and says, if you are a follower of Christ, then upon salvation, God gives us his spirit to live inside of us and we're the temple of God. Now you're like, that's sort of mysterious. It is. It's beautiful as well. And Paul says, don't you know this, that that you're the temple of God. You've been given a gift by God, his spirit living inside of you. Therefore, you are not your own. You're not your own. Because probably in Corinth, they had sayings like we have today. I'm my own person. I'm going to go my way and do my thing. and You be you. 
Like we've got these sayings that are all about us. Somebody uh, this morning was looking at popular hashtags right now that, that are going on like on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the mo- one of the most popular is hashtag me. Hashtag fun, hashtag cute, hashtag food, hashtag fashion. All those are at the top of the list and it's all about, let's just be honest, superficial things. I'm not saying those things in and of themselves are bad, but they're all superficial things. And and what Paul is saying, don't you know your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit? God lives in you. You are not your own. And you and I can think, well, that sounds really demeaning. I'm not my own. It sounds really restrictive. I'm not my own. It sounds like God's trying to restrict us. I'm I'm not my own. You're not your own. But it's one of the most freeing things we could ever imagine that the omnipotent, sovereign God of the world, the creator of everything would say, but I'm with you and not just am I for you, but I'm in you, my spirit living inside of you, empowering you and guiding you and filling you with purpose and filling you with joy and grace and peace, the spirit of God living inside of us. You are not your own is some of the best news you and I could ever hear. Some of the greatest truths to live into. This is the reality of the life God is saying. If you would just know that I am for you. And if you would just know that I am with you. And if you could just know your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit of God. That's way better than I'm my own person. That's way, way better than I earned this. I deserve this. No, it's freeing to be able to say I'm not my own not my own. When I was 16 years old, the day I turned 16 years old, the second I possibly could that the DMV opened, I went and got my driver's license. And I had a car. It was a junky little car, but I had a car. It was a Nissan 200SX, five-speed. Had no power, so I don't know why. I didn't need but like three gears. And I drove this little piece of the junk all around, and I was so proud of it, and I loved it so much. I lived next door to my uncle about my whole entire life growing up. And he was a bachelor his entire life. And uh, he always had two or three cars, even though he only needed one. But usually, almost all the time, one of those cars was a Corvette. It was never brand new, but it was always in tip-top shape. And so probably about 17, 17 and a half years old, on a Sunday afternoon, because that's the only day you could drive this Corvette, was on a Sunday afternoon after church when it was sunny and not a cloud in the sky. My uncle came to me and said, with the keys, you wanna take her for a spin? And I was like, no, that's okay. I was like, are you kidding me? Do I wanna take, yes, please. Before he could change his mind, I grabbed the keys and ran for the car because I was afraid maybe he's having a lapse in judgment. I don't want him to change his mind. So, but, but, but before I jumped in the car, I just knew this car was like flawless. I was like wiping dust or dirt or making sure my shoes are clean. I'm like, I don't wanna take anything to defile the temple of the Corvette. I would have never thought about eating or drinking. In, I mean, when I drove my Nissan 200SX, when I finished a drink, I just threw it in the back seat. Like there were probably half-eaten burgers that were four years old in that car. I just didn't care. But when I stepped into my uncle's car that I knew wasn't mine, that it didn't belong to me, it wasn't mine to own, but I knew I'm gonna take such good care of that because it wasn't mine. It didn't belong to me, and so I was going to take responsibility because it belonged to him, and it was of great value to him. And 
Part of what Paul is saying is, you are not your own is not degrading to you at all. It elevates you so that you can know how important you are to God. He places his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. That's how much you and I matter to God. And when we know that, when we walk in that, when we live in that, when we begin to make decisions out of that, not to prove that we're somebody or not to say, I can do whatever I want to do or do whatever feels good, but we say, no, 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 I'm not my, I'm not, I, I belong to someone else. I'm not my own. It is freeing and it gives purpose and it, it reminds us we have access to his power to fight sin. His grace to extend to others. We have access to his enabling to do what it is he's invited us to do day by day. That thought is not finished though. Look at verse 20. It, 19 ends with, you are not your own. But I love verse 20. Why are you not your own? Because you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And, and Paul, as he's wrapping up this thought, is saying, here's what I wish that you could understand. You are so valuable that you were bought at a price. And we know that the price of something is determined by what one is willing to pay for it. And you and I are so valuable that here's the price that God was willing to pay for us. John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world, that means you, that he gave his son, Jesus. That's the price that God was willing to pay because we're so valuable that Jesus came and humbled himself and, and, and came to this earth and he lived and he suffered and he died and he was buried and he was resurrected by the power of God paying the price that we could live, that we could be free, that we could be forgiven, that we could have grace. You and I, we who follow Christ, have been bought with at a price, and that price was the life of Jesus. And when we begin to understand, I'm not my own because I was bought with a price, the, the price of the perfect Son of God, the Son of God who willingly gave up himself on a cross, not because he had ever done a thing wrong, but for our sins, so we could be forgiven, so we could be set free. I was bought at a price means I mean something to God. God's not angry at you. He's for you. And he wants you to experience, and he wants me to experience all that he has in this life to give us. Not circumstantial. It's not making life easy. It's not saying I'll take all the pain away. But it's God saying, but even in your physical body, right here, right now, I want you to experience me. You were not your own. You were bought at a price. And because of this, therefore, honor God with your bodies. We can bring glory to God by the way we live our lives, by the choices we make, by the way we carry ourselves. And if we're not careful, we say, wait a minute, I thought I just can glorify God when I sing songs of praise. I thought I glorified God when I prayed and said, thank you, God, for all you've done. Yeah, but Paul says also on top of that, you and I can glorify, honor God with our bodies. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but resting 
can be a way of honoring God. And guess what? Overworking can be a way of dishonoring God. Being busy, busy, busy can be a way of dishonoring God. Sometimes resting, stopping from your labor and just saying, I'm going to trust that even though I stop, the world will go on because God is in control, not me. And resting can be a way to glorify God. Do you know exercising can be a way to glorify God? And some of you are like, oh, I knew he was going to say that. Like, like there can be the way that we do this, not just to get bigger and stronger and show off our muscles and flex a little bit and have people say, are you working out? Yeah, I am working out. Thank you. That's glorifying you, not glorifying God. But exercising can be a way of glorifying God. Eating in a right way can be a way of glorifying God. Now, I'm not trying to make too much or too little of this. I'm just saying, here's what Paul is clearly talking about. And here's a great example, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. You can eat and you can drink and you can do whatever you do for the glory of God. Not just the quote unquote spiritual stuff. The stuff that you would say, this is, this is simple. I've never even thought about that. And, and it's an invitation to say, all of your life matters. And God, God wants to move and, and, and fill you with the fullness of who he is in every single area of our lives. A couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, I, I, I heard about um, LeBron James and his training and recovery and, and rest. And I'm a massive LeBron James fan, so I started digging into it a little bit and, um, learned that LeBron James spends anywhere from like a million to a million and a half dollars a year just taking care of himself with food, exercise, recovery, and sleep. Can you imagine? I was like, I wonder what I would do with a million dollars just to take care of me. And the more I listen to how he recovers and he rests and he works out and he eats and he does these things together to, to get all of the potential out of him. I, I kept hearing him say this again and again in interviews as an elite athlete. As an elite athlete, like I want to do whatever it takes to be at the top of my game. As an elite athlete, I want to be able to, to get the most out of my body. As an elite athlete, I want to work out and rest well, eat well. I, as an elite athlete, and I kept hearing him say that, and I finally just had a thought. He does know he just plays a little game, right? <laughs> he plays a little game. He just and then sometimes he dunks in people's face. It's just a game. But he took it seriously. And he says, as an elite athlete. And I just started thinking as I was getting ready for this, therefore, honor God with your body. As an elite Christian. Not that there's anything special about me, but I don't know because it applies to you as an elite Christian who, by the way, the spirit of God dwells in our lives, who, by the way, you're not your own. I'm not my own, but I was bought at a price. So therefore, as a dearly loved child, a son or daughter of the most high God, what would it be to say, God, I want to honor you in my body. I want to give everything I am, my breath, my energy. I want to love you with my heart, my soul, my mind. And guess what? Yeah, my strength as well. I want to experience you in every area for your glory, God, but also for the good of other people because there's purpose in this. And it's not about me being strong, but about Christ being strong in me. Yeah. 
And it's not about you and I being glorified so others, have you lost weight? I could tell you've lost weight. Oh, you're getting stronger? No. It's trying to do these things to be well in whatever condition we're in. If we're young and we still have our whole lives ahead of us, to say, I wanna, I wanna make the most of the opportunities I have. If we, we're older and we feel like all of our best days are behind, no, they're not. What we've been given is now. And what would it look like now? Honor God with your bodies. Yeah, the spiritual stuff matters. It matters a lot. But so does this in the right context and in the right way of saying, God, have your way in my life. And maybe for some of us, it means having a little bit more self-control. Discipline in our lives. That maybe for some of us, to, to just rest a little better. Make time to rest. And you're like, that seems like a waste of time. Well, you're just going against all science and God's word. But other than that, <laughs> good luck. Or really working out and eating right matters? Yeah, it does. It's not the only thing that matters, but it's one thing that matters. And as we've been talking about in this series, it's all of the different aspects of our life, our spiritual lives. It's how we started out with Paul saying, there's one thing, I want to know Christ. And there's other things that fall under that. Our, our vocational lives, our, the way we handle our finances, our relational life, our emotional life, and yes, our physical lives, that we say it's all those things working together to say, God, we wanna bring you honor and glory in everything we do. Whether we eat, whether we drink, whatever we do, do it all for the glory of God. And it's just sort of a posture saying, God, have your way. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. So honor God in your body. We pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus living this out, teaching us these truths, giving your life for us. God, thank you for resurrection power where you conquered death and sin and hell and you lead us into the life you've created us for. I pray that you would help us apply this to our lives. Make sense of how this impacts the choices we make, the things we value, the motives and the attitudes of our hearts. That we would be the kind of people, those of us who are your followers, Jesus, would be the kind of people who live out of this understanding, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own. We were bought with a price and we can honor you with our bodies. What an amazing privilege and gift you have given us. We love you. Would you lead us forward in this? In Jesus' name we pray.